Hype Zone World, we're back. Real quick, I want to say that the essay I promised that would be out during the last episode, now it actually is out. Go check it out at Splice Today, if you're so inclined. Got my man Secret Weapon Dave here. It's a real good look. I was happy to have him, and he's still here right now drinking this coffee. This was recorded at the lineup room, a recording and mixing studio located in Baltimore, MD. Check out lineuproom.com to see how it's going down. This art that you've been seeing in association with these episodes is by Mike Riley Comics. He's been killing it with these old school rap album cover homages. So um, I don't know what he's going to do next week, but it's fire. Let's go in. Um, I grew up in Needham, Massachusetts. It's a suburb of Boston. It's basically right outside Boston, but like in a roundabout way. So mm. like the highways make it impossible to get there in an immediate way. So it's like, it's about a 20 minute drive to downtown yeah. Boston. I feel like it's a plain kind of like New England suburb. Mm. It's just kind of like colonial houses. And uh, that's about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like my image of it, I guess. What did your parents do? Um, my mom was a speech pathologist. At um, when I was young, she she was doing that at the VA hospital mm. um, in Boston. And um, my dad was wounded in Vietnam, so he never he was like not working my mm. whole life. Basically, he was disabled. Um, so and she was actually his his um, speech pathologist. Like that's oh, where wow. that's where they met originally, um, when he was sort of coming off like um, a long series of of uh, like a recovery process in like multiple hospitals, like in Philly and I'm not sure where else. But um, when, by the time he got to Boston, he was like um, pretty far along in his recovery, and the speech pathology was like the late um, part of that recovery. Oh wow. So he wasn't a Boston dude originally. He grew right? up in the on like the in Fall River, which is like a it's a, um just across the harbor from or the bay from Providence and New Bedford. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the South Shore. Oh, wow. which is like its own scene down yeah. there. That's a that's a wild spot. It is absolutely a wild spot. I'm I'm pretty obsessed with it. <laughs> is that like? The Portuguese zone, or yeah, not really? it's yeah. I think it's Fall River's the number one por- uh, Portuguese population in the U.S. That's I think wild. still to this day. And what kind of like what kind of dude were you? I was always pretty quiet and um, kept to myself a lot. And I think like I was always really curious about stuff. Yeah, um, just like everything. I think I started reading really early when I was like, I think my sister was two years older and I think I started reading before she did. Mm. Like I just wanted to like know stuff. Yeah. Like really early on. And, um, but then I think like the, the quiet and cautious side of me sort of like took over at school, like kind of like beat me down a little bit. Mm. (laughs) You know what I Mm. mean? Like, I feel like, uh, I was like so into school when it started out like basically through elementary school and like by the end of elementary school, I was just like, but 
certainly by the time I got to middle school, I was like, this is garbage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like pretty quick. I just like turned and was just like, nah. Yeah. And I feel like kind of scarred by that, like that experience, just like having seen these like heights and just like getting the praise and being like, you know, and then just being like, I just, I, I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing now. Like by the time I got to middle school. Like academically, or like you yeah, like... kind of academically, but socially too. I mean, it was just like I don't know. It's just I just started like it was the beginning of looking around and being like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. what is this town? Like what's yeah. going on here? Totally, you know? totally. Which I feel like some people never have that moment. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's probably like insane. Yeah, true. How did you become like a music head? You were from like pretty early, right? Yeah, early. but it's it's weird though, cause like I didn't, I actually didn't really feel like a music head for a long time, and it's like I think I I was like I was always into drawing, and that mm. was like that was the thing for me, and I I just in my head I was like I'm gonna be an artist, I'm gonna be an artist, like I'm gonna, and it was always drawing, it was never music for like, I mean that's still like part of me is like questions, I'm, I'm just like am I even like about this music like on a full-time basis you know Mm. um like I just question my commitment sometimes but yeah like I guess early on like some of the things that got me like really fired up about music were like like I guess Michael Jackson was the beginning of that yeah and I was always really into radio really early on like my sister sort was who again was like older than me she put me on to just like pop radio yeah and in Boston pop radio was a lot of dance music um just like a lot of 80s electro and freestyle and oh really yeah like arthur baker type stuff but i didn't know that you know i didn't know the yeah. people behind stuff at all yeah but i just remember like shannon's like uh let the music play mm. just like did something to me i was just like that's insane like this song yeah. is insane um and like michael jackson was sort of just like like the the one dude like looking down on all those like slightly lesser yeah facts you know that's crazy to think about that's something i mean i guess maybe it's just like an age difference thing but i don't remember any of that stuff like at all yeah you know i mean and also it might have not been popping like that i think it was you know yeah i i can imagine just what i know about like baltimore now like that just radio in balt in boston was very different from here and i i also like it was less of an r&b kind of scene uh-huh um so these like cla- like old school classics from the 80s are not necessarily like some overlap with like my classics but it's like it's more like it was coming more from like a date a dance scene like a new york dance scene or kind of like a euro like yeah. faster paced not these like two-step kind of anthems that came later yeah. for me but i don't understand i, I i've never quite understood like like say like in the 80s like what what is the scene that they're like making this music for? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I guess, guess in New York, I kind of know what it would be. Or I mean, Boston had those kind of clubs, like New York type yeah. type clubs, and like Arthur Baker was from from Boston. That's he, right. That's you know, right. Um, a lot of these dudes, like Michael Johnson of the Johnson Crew, um, um, Maurice Starr, who like later like produced and managed like New Kids on the Block mm. and. A lot of, like new new edition, a lot of yeah. the, a lot of those acts. Um 
So, I mean, I don't know exactly what the scene was like, but there was, yeah. they had like a mini version of what was going on in New York clubs and a like Latino population that was into the freestyle music. Yeah, and, there, yeah there is Spanish dudes up there, right? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that. Um, so a lot of that more than like, at least for my like, for, like youngest formative years, it was mm. a lot more of that like white and like Latin influence than like this straight up black music basically. Yeah. That yeah. I feel like is going on here. So I guess in your life, it's like you were saying you kind of became this skater kind of guy at some point. No, right? that well, or, I I was never the skater guy. I literally just ne- never. I knew skating was not my thing, but I was friends with a lot of skaters. Yeah, yeah. And the culture was like cool to me, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not gonna get on a skateboard. Basically, yeah. I would just I would just draw pictures of like skulls and skateboards mm. you know dudes yeah. doing tricks for like my friends and that was yeah. kind of like my in and just like just the humor the general vibe of that yeah i mean even and a lot of them were like metal heads too right 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 um i grew up around a lot of metal heads and that was always like i just did not get into metal for like it took like i had to be dragged into like getting into that stuff and mm. then i did go hard in that when like, did you go hard um, that was by high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what, like, what was the, what bands set it off for you? Um, Slayer and Metallica were really the ones that, like, finally convinced me. Yeah. I think up until that point, it's just like, I didn't get Iron Maiden. I didn't get, like, I don't know, just, like, run down the list, like, even all those big, those big, certainly the hair metal bands, like, none of that did yeah. anything for me. Um, but I think when I heard Slayer, I was like, this is insane. Like, I think I'm ready <laughs> yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I was waiting for, like, the most insane thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then I went sort of backwards after that, kind of. I think I think a lot of non-metal fans still like Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 Frank was never down with metal, but he loved Slayer. Yeah, it's just it's the all, attitude and the yeah. way they sold it, I think, you know? But like, and what, and was there other music going on that you were really checking for at that time? Well, yeah, I mean, so, like, if we go back to like middle school, yeah, that was like that was the most interesting time for me because like as soon as I hit middle school and things like were changing in many ways, like they always do in middle school, probably for most people, yeah, like there was just like a couple dudes that were really into rap, and that just like flipped the switch for me so like 88 was like a huge year for me when like i just i just would go to the record store and pick up stuff blindly just like tapes pick them up blindly Mm. and um check them out just like on what looked like it would be tight you know yeah and i didn't have um i didn't have mtv or like not even i wasn't even a lot of like tv going on in my house like we had this like tiny TV. Same here, yeah. And it was just like very little exposure to the stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um but but I would like get pieces of it when I'd go into class and hear like Slick Rick. And it's just like that name would just like I would file it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? And didn't even have like a filter for like whether this would be good or not, you know. Right, right. Um there were like there were some big rap songs that I would hear and just be like, that's tight. And some stuff from like, even like back in the radio 
era that I was talking yeah. about. You know, like I heard the message or like Run DMC or the Beastie Boys or whatever. Yeah. But um, it was not until I like bought my first tapes in like '88. Yeah. Um. That that things really opened up and started making sense. Mm. What were the tapes? I I always tell people like the first tape that was just like the Bible for me was the Color soundtrack. Mm. Because it just like everybody that was on that tape just like went on to do things and was like big at the time, but it was all these different styles, different coasts. Um, it had like like the tightest, you know, like it had a remix on it. It had like DJ Polo scratching on this cool G rap song, and I still to this day think it's like one of the tightest scratches. And all these things mm-hmm. were just like I was hearing all of these things on one tape for the first time, like scratching yeah. on a record. What's a remix? You know, like yeah. all this stuff. Like, and I had like liner notes for the first time. So I was associating like, I was like, there's three tracks or two tracks by like Marley Marl. Who's Marley Marl? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just always the type to like file that away and be like, I got to find out about this guy, Marley Marl. Cause like my favorite tracks are by him. Right. 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 You know what I mean? Um, and even dudes that were like on that tape, but I didn't, that wasn't my favorite song at the time. I still filed that away. Like I remember Dr. Dre had some some track on there. I can't even remember what it was, but it wasn't like the tightest. He just had some producer credit. Right, right, right. And I just filed away the name Dr. Dre. And like yeah. maybe three years later, it's like I'm saying Dr. Dre. I'm like, I remember that guy. But it just like yeah. all that stuck with me, you know? Well, I think we've talked about this before, but how these soundtracks used to be like, they used to be huge. I, I really think it would be hard for like a young kid to understand like yeah that like the biggest like CD was like the Wayne's World soundtrack or <laughs> right, right. like and like and like and like with rap they used to be like like hugely influential yeah it would be yeah. like the best possible like guidebook to be like what is rap would be to get like yeah. the soundtrack you know yeah I mean like it's it I always think it would be it sounds dumb to be like, that's my like desert island disc or whatever. It's like the color soundtrack. You know, it sounds so weird. But it's just like you get so much bang for your buck yeah. on there, you know what no, I mean? That's totally true. Yeah. I guess the closest other thing there would be in that time would be like those like Mr. Magic tapes or something. Right. If you right. know about those. Yeah. I wish I had known about those then. Yeah. Does rap kind of stay the the dominant thing for a long time yeah for all yeah. of middle school rap was certainly the dominant thing and i feel like i took a lot of flack for it like for a while we were all like there was a moment where people were on board and i think like like the majority of my friends were like checking for that equally yeah um but i feel like there was a moment and it was pretty much like the summer before high school kind of which for me was like i guess between 90 and 91 um and I sort of, in my head, I remember sort of like it was becoming like Public Enemy was the one like hold, like not the holdout, but like it was the last thing that like metalheads were checking for. Yeah. And then Public Enemy sort of disbanded as a group by like, like more, not disbanded, but there was sort of that like post Professor Griff like downfall yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. like media downfall or whatever. And I feel like the metalheads were like, were just like, that's the downfall. Whereas I was still like, that's tight, you know, but people were sort of buying into like, like, let's just like forget about this public enemy. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. That was such a cool time to me because I feel like, because in fifth grade I had a moment of fuck rap, uh-huh. which was just, I think it was just too confusing to me to like yeah. listen to these people with like, <laughs> these like crazy different perspectives. It's, it was just like, I think my fifth grade mind was just like, I don't get it anymore or something. Uh-huh. And then, and then I think what snapped me out of it was like the, the anthrax P.E. John. <laughs> uh-huh. like, like, I was kind of like, it can't be denied. It, it, it was just like, I can't hide from like yeah. yeah, I feel like I had a dip like later in high school. That was like maybe for a year, like 92, 93, where it was like, I still was into rap, but I was already at the point where I was like, I'm getting disappointed with rap. <laughs> you know, like I was already <laughs> at that point where like for some people that was like, the golden age or whatever, but I was just like, I was like, what's happening to my beloved rap? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And was there specific groups that, no, it was just kind of like the vibe. It was just, it was just, it started to feel like a little watered down. And yeah, like, yeah. and, and I, and it was just, I didn't know what to do with it kind of. And I was switching into like, you know, being pulled to like the metal side of things. But mm. like, I remember, I remember in like 94 or no, 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 it was earlier than that. Maybe like 93 rediscovering, uh, let the rhythm hit them, mm. which I think was from 91 or something. Yeah, it's not, and it's yeah, like, long, yeah. but at the time it was like, a, I had already like loved it kind of moved on. Cause I feel like I used to run through tapes kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? And I remember going back to it in like around the time where, when like Wu-Tang and Nas dropped yeah, and being like, Oh man, this like rock him. And I just, it, it just started to like unfold in like new levels, like the the poetry. Basically, I was just like, yeah. lines were starting to like the multiple meanings of the lyrics were starting to like sink in for yeah. me. Whereas before, it was just like the whole thing just sounded different, and it was more the production, right, right, right. But the rhymes were like too dense, and now they were starting to like. I was just starting to absorb them more and be like, "This is like insane," mm. you know. Is it kind of also like you could see the connections between? The new things and the old things. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's, we're talking about like a difference of a year or two, but like. But back then, it was like. Yeah, it was huge. Huge, yeah. Yeah, and then I, from there on, I was just like, I'm just gonna absorb all the stuff I missed. Like, I'm gonna dig up these old tapes. I'm just yeah. gonna be all about like, what did I miss mm. in all of these these intervening years, and then going back even further. Like, I just wanted all of it because I was like, there's quality. Yeah. Like I, I used to go, I would go to a lot of hardcore shows in Boston. A lot of this like sort of like meathead kind of hardcore. Um, yeah. Uh, there's um there's this band in Boston that's like it was huge in Boston and maybe like Falls Church, Virginia, and those are like there's, there's <laughs> this band, uh, Sam Black Church. Okay. And uh, I feel like those were the two big markets, and like they were just like. Wait, really? False Church? It was somewhere in Virginia. I I could swear it's probably False Church. That's where maybe my like one, sister lives. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like one member like has some crew there or something. I don't know. But like they were like massive and they had these like really um these really iconic shirts mm. that you would just see all over the city and it was just like a cult, you know. Mm. Um they just had like they were packaged so well. Anyway. <laughs> No, no, it's it, it's definitely weird for me, like, you know, because I feel like the whole, like, 
crate digging culture and everything. I feel like I feel like I learned about it through Shields mm-hmm. and also through I don't know if you remember uh, DJ Action Pat. Yeah, the, yeah. The more like on the I don't I, yeah I don't know what yeah, about, but I, I know it's the rockabilly side or whatever. But like and still like talking to you now, I'll be like, oh, what's up with these guys? And it'll be like, oh, they have like three good songs and then like five other like garbage songs or something. and I'm like oh got it got it and like <laughs> and then, you know and sometimes like uh-huh. with with like Pat he would like play me stuff and I'd be like oh this is cool and he'd be like like new finds from like the thrift store or whatever and uh-huh. I'd be like this is garbage <laughs> I, like I'd be like this sounds good and he'd be like fuck this <laughs> and like I feel like hardcore Particularly Boston hardcore, from mm-hmm. what I can imagine, it's it seems like the most opposite kind of culture. It really is, yeah. Where it's like you just you like yeah, it's like the shirts, and it's like it's like we pledge our allegiance to this <laughs> squad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's probably just it's like what you were around, and yeah, it right? was what I was around. And, I mean, to be honest, I mean, it was it, I just like had that energy, like it was just angry. You know, mm. and it was just like escapism, basically. You know, um, yeah. But that was sort of going on simultaneous with like rap, and it was just like rap had way more staying power. You know, yeah. in my life, basically. Yeah, and the hardcore stuff. Like, did you feel able to fit in at least enough to feel okay in this like kind of like machismo situation you, you know what i mean um yeah i think so um i mean by and by college like we had like a hardcore band going like me and my friends and, yeah like, we would play some of those type of shows you know that that i would go to when i was in high school yeah but i think we all of us were just kind of like like we were all into hardcore sort of equally but we also just were like i think we all kind of knew it wasn't our scene in a way like it wasn't us Right. Or somehow we right. we just like felt like not aloof, but we were just like, what's going on? Like, like it was kind of like us looking outside of ourselves and seeing us do it, and be like, why are we into this? <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, maybe did part of you guys? Did you guys feel like you were hoping like there would be a a lane of it like for you, kind of? Yeah, I think know? so. I mean, I certainly I wasn't qualified to like write any other kind of song basically you know so it was like definitely my way into like playing music yeah. and I, I quickly just taught myself to play to like write a song you know and that was really important um early on i just wouldn't have had i wouldn't have known where to start oh I, yeah had totally. i not had that kind of an easy format you know yeah. like punk or whatever to start with and so i guess did that kind of did that kind of drift into DJing from there, like like how how did you get started? Still, DJing? the DJing the DJing didn't even come until after college. To be honest, oh, okay. actually no, that's I mean, I think I was DJing in my head by like middle of college. I was yeah. buying records like it it was by today's standards it doesn't seem serious, but then I was just like I'm buying a couple records a week, right? Right? You know right. what I mean? And um, uh, I think I got like a somewhat nice turntable. But I still, ne- I did never DJ'd anything in college. Oh, okay. Um, the first time I, I DJ'd a party here in Baltimore was like when I was here in Baltimore, like early 
2001, probably. Mm. How did you end up moving here? By the... Um, I just I didn't when I when I got done with college, I, I went to school in Western Mass, and when I came back to Boston, I lived there for a year, um, and just didn't really I didn't know what to do with myself, and I just broken up with somebody, and I just I just I moved back with my parents for six months saved up a bunch of money, and I had friends, two of my closest friends, one of whom I had been in um, one of these hardcore bands with. Mm. Um, they had both moved down here for different reasons, and I came out and visited them a couple times, and um, I don't know, I just really liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot, and um, it was cheap, and things just seemed to be popping in a way that like, I didn't envision happening. Like I, I had no vision in Boston how I would do anything like creative or like link up with people it creatively. seems impossible yeah even to the, the funny thing is yeah i thought it was me and then like years later when i try and like set anything up yeah in boston i'm like oh it wasn't me it's like <laughs> right it was it's extremely hard there and it's extremely easy here yeah so i, I yeah. feel like i went to like from one extreme to the other yeah yeah you know? totally what so what was it like doing your first dj stuff down here um I think if I'm remembering what my actual first thing, it was my friend's birthday party. And I just remember like feeling like I know exactly, like I got this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I just was like, the people were so like hype. Um, it was a lot of these Micah kids. Yeah. A lot of people I came, became friends with later. Um, I just had like a few friends supporting me and I just felt like, I was like, I've been doing this like in my head. Like I'm ready. Mm. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I just like I had the records because I just had already been like buying records like crazy the whole time I'd been in like towards the end of college and the whole time I'd been in Boston. And then as soon as I, I hit Baltimore, like the record buying scene just like exploded for me. And I was just like, this place is just like a record paradise. Mm. You know, the flea markets and the thrift stores and stuff. And I just like. I just went in so hard on on picking up records here. Why is it like that? Why is it like paradise i just think it's i mean i think it's the location i think there there's just like a lot of different music styles that all pass through here it's just that corridor you know between the south and the north and um and also just like compared to my experience in boston there's just like like i said there's like not the same sort of um reverence for like the old school like black music you know, um, yeah. or it's just, it's just like more isolated here. It's just like, everybody just remembers these certain songs from the seventies and eighties that by the, by the time I had gotten here, I already had that, like the reverence for it. Uh huh. Um, but just, they didn't, you couldn't find those records as easily mm. a lot of other places. Um, and they could be had cheaply here instead of like, you know, paying a premium at a rec. A record store you could yeah. just go to a thrift store or a flea market and they just buy a whole collection like a dj's collection um and i just fell in love with that like that idea of like i'm gonna buy these dj collections and just kind of like see in one piece just like how it went down in 1982 or whatever like the dominant year in somebody's collection was right right you know you could instantly just see like oh they pull these tracks out yeah you know yeah and i just loved comparing DJ's collections and seeing like getting a feel of what type of collection am I looking at and yeah and and like say like the stuff you're playing now is that 
the genre wise is it the same stuff you were interested in doing back then yeah i pretty much i i pretty much stand by like anything that i ever in my dj career that yeah. i was ever like into but i did i think i i did a little more crowd pleasing like party um stuff where like everybody well yeah i think maybe the percentage of tracks that people know i think has gone down cuz i think of like I've always really like like to play stuff that people want to dance to, and I've never felt like I want to be like a DJ snob that's like not making people dance. But I've right. always, I personally like when DJs play stuff I don't know. Yeah. So my hope is that when I DJ, like I'm not just playing like exclusive stuff over, you know, just to like be over people's heads, but I want it to be like stuff that they feel. Yeah. You know? Because I, I just know that that's what I like when I go out. So I'm not just justifying it to be like. I have these songs and I want to like show off. Oh, totally. You know, I feel like if it's not like that, there's not much of a reason not just to have an, an iPod or something. Right. If you're right. Going to, if you're not looking to hear one thing that you don't expect or something. Yeah. You know? I don't want to say this too strongly or anything, but I I think you might be the one like anti Baltimore club DJ in, in Baltimore. That is too strong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've I've just always thought it was interesting that you've always been like, I'm not trying to work that into the mix. Well, I I don't know. I it depends on when you saw me because like I I think less more and more I I try and fight it a little bit because I did do it a lot, and I still Early would on. do it. I still would break it out. But yeah, there was a point where. Baltimore Club blew up really hard nationally, and that was like it did not bother me. I was I was completely into it, but as a DJ, I found it really limiting because I I just I just always really like dynamics with like throughout the course of a set, and there's something about Baltimore Club music where you, there's just like no turning down or like no turning back yeah. from from it, and I w- I only want to bring it out when it's like that's when I know what the the plan after that is. <laughs> right, Do you know right. what I mean? What what could it even be? <laughs> like, I mean, what's like a good plan? I mean, sometimes you can just like find something that's like equally bombastic, but in a different style. Yeah. But it has to be like, it has to be big somehow. Or you could, or you could just like go small and like, but make sure it's like obviously small. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like a dramatic change. Exactly. Yeah. But um, it got to the point where people were just sort of like mindlessly asking for it, and it's like, I, I always think about like how people are just looking at DJs and they're like, why aren't they just playing what I want to hear right now? Right, right. And like, part of me understands that, but I also it just like still grates, you know, like against like what I want to do when I DJ. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that is what the crowd like overall wants to hear, but sometimes it's just not. You know, it's yeah. like what a couple hype people want to do. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I do not want it to come across at all. Like, I'm not completely down with all that stuff. I really am. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I feel like I'm knowledgeable about it. My, like, my collection of, like, Baltimore Club is, like, ridiculous. Yeah. I like it. It's just... Um, Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel... When you first came down were you kind of part of like the the tax low um yeah actually uh colin stalin and i went to to 
college together. And he was one of the people that like I knew when I came down here. And I, I never really, I, I DJed a few Taxler things and a couple like offshoot things of that with him and with Tony Joy. And um, I don't know, just a couple things uh, here and there. But I never was like a regular or anything oh, okay. like that. Tony Joy was part of that too. Yeah, I think he was down with the the very beginnings of that. With like, hmm. I think Jason Urich was another one. What would he play? Um, there was a lot more. I feel like at the time there was a lot more rock, but there was it was sort of on the cusp of this like rock and funk or like you know like Rick James type stuff. Yeah, I mean like that was the the general vibe. I can't remember like specific anything specific that was like going on, but it was it was all very like party. Yeah, you know, '80s party stuff, kind of. Cool, cool. And do you do you have like an idea on like starting to make beats at this time, or were you already doing? That? I started making beats. I think my first year of college, like towards the end of college. Oh wow! Um, okay. Uh, my friend hooked me up with this sound edit sixteen for my Mac Performa. Mm, that's what's up. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like this cracked copy. I sounded at 16 and that just like changed my life because I instantly was just like I clicked with it so hard and I I was not good at it at all like I I was just I went years without being like the least bit sophisticated about production and and mixing and engineering and Mm. I still to this day I'm not um but but I definitely learned about like song construction and like just like picking the best samples and like yeah you know um putting beats together that way and then I feel like I, I, when I moved to Baltimore, I can't remember how long it was, but I, whatever, how, whatever length of time it was, I should have bought an MPC like the day I moved here because mm. I knew that was the path. Right. But I sort of dilly-dallied mm. for a couple years and kept maybe two years and then kept doing stuff with SoundEdit 16 and then a couple other pieces of software. But then I... I stepped up in like the early 2000s to the MPC and then just like really went hard on like loading up discs with sounds and yeah. And and do you feel I mean do you feel like having an MPC like do you feel like that for you that was kind of like the game changer? Yeah, it was cuz it's just a very tactile experience and I think I always just knew that once I could get like my hands on it I could like make the beats go the way I wanted. I, mm. I, it's weird because I started out with this very linear. I mean, sounded at a sixteen is like the prehistoric version of like a Pro Tools type yeah. program where you're looking at the waveform and yeah. So I spent my early years like starting with beats, just looking at waves, and then abruptly stopped with the MPC, and then it was all with my ears. And then it got to a point when I got advanced enough with the MPC where I started to want to have like that visual cue again as oh, like yeah. a, um, a way to refine my beats. Which um, I guess, I guess that's what you and Mickey have now, right? Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I linked up with Mickey, um, trying to think maybe like around 2005 or six. Mm. And even before I met Mickey, I remember like, I remember thinking and telling people like, I just want to like find an engineer or somebody that's like on the same wavelength as me with these beats Yeah, that I can collaborate with because yeah. I just always felt like I need a collaborator. Mm. Like I'm very confident about like what I bring to the table, but it's limited by myself, mm. you know? Mm. 
Um, and so that like meeting Mickey was just like the perfect fit for I think for both of us honestly. Yeah. And and hadn't you hadn't you kind of like produced for a group like before that, like in Boston or, or um, in New York? Or I something? had like I did a couple like off. Like these, like side pro, not side projects. They were like my only projects, but just these projects that didn't materialize into yeah. anything. Some stuff just with friends here, either here or um, I had friends um, in New York that I did stuff with, but on a just on a very limited basis, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I was just that was at the point where I was, I was just excited that I had like this machine, like a like the MPC to like play around with and I just had this vision of like somehow being in a band or something because I just didn't know what the end game was with making these bedroom beats mm. and that was a like being in a band with the MPC was like sort of this compromise where I could somehow see a path for the the music to get out you know yeah yeah so you and you you guys would like play live and stuff no there was or, never or... I mean actually I did play live with a couple like sort of noise project type things here oh, okay. in, in Baltimore Oh really? But um, but anything else was like just strictly like recording. Oh okay. And, but and didn't it, play with, shows. Yeah, with the goal to eventually play shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just to be good. <laughs> we never <laughs> we never got past past that. Yeah. Cool. cool. So yeah. meeting Mickey was kind of like the big moment of coming tight with another person, kind of. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Mickey, I, originally he was coming over. I th we met, like, when I was DJing something at Floristry, I think. Well, actually, well, <laughs> there was, I met him much earlier, but I don't think he remembers the early, oh, cool. the early story. But but he came up to me when I was DJing one time and, and talked about something I was playing or whatever, and then he came and, like, bought bought records for me, or that was, like, yeah, he was going to, like, come hang out and just, like, look at records. Yeah. Because um, I was selling records, like, out of my house or whatever. And that was sort of how we like linked up, and then we talked about working on stuff pretty much right away. Oh, cool! From there, I have this memory of me and Frank talking to Mickey, and Mickey was like, "He's like, I love making beats. I just like, I don't know what sample to pick." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, and like, I think like, like. Frank was kind of like flabbergasted uh -huh. just to be like, what, what's the problem? It's just like, <laughs> just like, you got to just find some, some cool samples. He's like, I just, I can't see it. You know? yeah. Like, I feel like right after that, like that, you like materialized for yeah. him. And it was like, oh, now he found it. They're, they're yeah. doing it. You know? I mean, I, def I feel like that was such a mutual thing for both of us where we were both just like, we had these blocks in our head where it was just like, I can't go forward if I don't like know this or I don't have this like piece yeah. of the puzzle. And yeah, and we just linked up on that, you know. Originally, if if I remember right, you guys kind of originally were thinking more like, more like selling these beats to, to bigger dudes and stuff like that right yeah i mean to be honest like the whole time i made beats like in college we did these like little fun freestyle sessions or whatever but not just very not serious yeah and it was just for goofing around and did a little bit of that when i first moved here with some friends um but to, i just like i very quickly was like what is the end game here you know not that there has to be but i was just like i was spending so much time making beats or just like cataloging samples, not even making beats sometimes. Yeah. 
and would just be like, where is all of this going to go? Like, yeah. who's ever going to hear any of this? Is it just going to, like, die on the hard disk or whatever? Yeah. You know, and um, so, yeah, like, the only outlet I could see at that time was, you know, maybe I could just, like, send this to somebody tight and they'd rap over it. Yeah. But I also didn't want to, like, I don't know, I feel like I was very picky about, like, what I, who I wanted to give a beat to, even mm. if it's, like, who am I? to be choosy but I mean, you know it's like um i don't know i just uh yeah i just didn't want to like i just yeah i think it's hard for a lot of like rap producers doing cool stuff at home and just like having no outlet for their cool yeah. thing you know yeah. and just having an artist like since mickey like actually has like a thing as like a rapper as well and mm-hmm. like, has a persona and has like something sort of like you can plug into yeah and you know like what his thing is it's just like it gives you so much direction and like sense of something would get out there so i think i sort of switched over to like i'm just i'm just happy like feeding that you know he's like the artist that i work with you know what i mean totally and developing that but um i think we both still would love to have like us you know just get a paycheck from a beat someday yeah totally which could totally happen at any time. It's such a, it just seems to me like it's a weird time to be a, a producer. Yeah. I think. It's not really clear, like, what would be the path to, like, success or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I felt that way, felt that way for years, and it's only more so with every passing year, basically. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <sighs> I guess like the best of the best of kind of the stuff you were working on for many years ended up being this last of the tight wiggers album. I said it, (laughs) I guess, I guess that was the first, your first time really like having this, like you, you like co-produced every track, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple track, I think a handful of tracks Mickey did himself and everything else was like, although even those like you know we we workshopped everything sort of together and polished yeah. stuff off together, um, but yeah, some like I think basically our process, especially early on, was like once we started working together, I would have like a skeleton of something that I would bring to him, and then we would sort of like make this rough thing sound like a million times better, and then. Like, he'd add something, then I'd add something, and I'd sort of, like, look over his shoulder. Um, and I learned a lot, too, like, from that process. Yeah. Um, and was able to contribute more, like, as that process went on, you know. But did it feel really good to, like, have this, like, awesome final yeah. thing? Going? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just... Yeah, it just it made more sense, like... I feel like that whole album, just making that, I really didn't even know Mickey's stuff. Like, I knew Mickey more than I knew, like, his material. Yeah. Like, or his previous albums or anything. Um, And it's true for you, too. Like, I didn't know your stuff very well. So I, like, I was learning, like, who he was over the course of making this album yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it was this fun discovery process of, like... um partly determining who he's going to be by like the, what kind of track I showed up with it, you know, for right, us to right, start right. out with. And I feel like maybe he just like bounced 
in different directions based on what I brought to the table, you know, but I think we sort of locked in and figuring out what kind of stuff we had in common. And like, yeah, we both sort of had this taste for these big sort of tracks, like yeah, anthemic kind of tracks. And I think before I had linked up with him, I had much more like, uh, I was much more into these like street anthem type tracks or like these sort of brooding minimalist kind of New York type beats. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was just always, it's still to this day. Like that's the stuff that I sort of make on my own time, mm. but I like so much other stuff and I like this West coast sort of synthy stuff. Yeah. And like, um, and just blaze stuff was kind of sort of in the back of our minds uh, yeah, for yeah. a lot of that. And we sort of figured out a way together. I think where like, Mickey's persona sort of could sink into these bigger sort of like street kind of tracks that might not make sense with his persona or it, it might not make sense on paper, but when you hear it, it's just like, Oh yeah. That's like, it just works for him. Yeah. Totally. You know? Totally. Like, like what do you have in mind right now with like what you guys are working on? I don't know. We've talked about um, doing an EP or something where maybe like it might have a particular style of beat that is a little more cohesive for the length of like an EP because we we started doing a little bit more like gritty rock type production. Yeah. Or I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but we just had a we have like a handful of these sort of gritty tracks that are somewhat of a departure from maybe the slicker stuff that we have, yeah. and we wanted to have an outlet for that. Um, uh, but yeah, we just we're just always working on on beats, and I'm working on stuff on my own. He's working on stuff is his on his own that we bring to each other. But um, yeah, I think he's he's writing stuff, and you know, we're both both of us are work very slowly. Yeah, um, on our own stuff, and I think I like having that outlet where we put a lot of care into how stuff comes out. But it means that we also and we're also lazy on top of that. So yeah. Um, but like, I like working with you on your stuff because it's like, we just bang stuff out, you know, like there's, there's like a, a regimen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I like that. I feel like that side before I started working with you, that, that side was neglected. Um, and I, I just didn't get a lot of, I had ideas or thoughts about like stuff I wanted to do that just didn't get out as much. Mm um working with mickey so so it's nice to have both sides of that i feel like that's an ideal situation for me yeah it's i think it's also the nature of the stuff we're working on yeah yeah it's like we're trying to imitate other things yeah and and I i don't know i feel like it's just like i would just feel ridiculous if it had been like We've been grinding for eight years. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Old school homage or something. Yeah, yeah. It's more just that that mind state of that that style of uh, of working. Yeah, that is really helpful for me because I I just naturally don't finish stuff. I I just like a lot of times my my beat making process is like I listen to records obsessively next to my MPC, just load a sample in and be like, that's cool. I'll do it later. You know, like I'll finish the beat in my head and then I'll just be like, I don't execute, mm. you know, like I don't put the time in and, and put the beat together. 
um, when I'm really on top of things, you know, I'll do a beat like 50% of the way, but, but, you know, don't, um, you know, don't sequence it, don't arrange it. Mm. You know, I, I bring a lot of stuff to Mickey and then we do stuff together Yeah, from that yeah. point. You've taught me like so much these last couple of years, just in putting these old school sets together and the albums about sequencing a set or, you know, like how these blends work and these transitions and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. is that something you've always been like on point with or has that like gone on o- over time? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess I've been attuned to that stuff from pretty early on, but some, I mean, it might be just the, the age difference or having been exposed to a little bit more of that, like, that DJ culture, yeah, you know, and um, I I don't know. I think I've always just obsessed over songs, and and like often I'll just sit and like stare at the record player. Like I can't do so, like put a record on and do something else, or or like sometimes I'll put a beat on, like play a beat out, like I'll make something, and I just listen to it on loop, you know. And I think I just that time I'm just zoning out and thinking about like how songs get made. It's like day, I just like put the loop on and daydream. Yeah. And that daydreaming has like, I've gotten better at like envisioning how a song gets made, mm. even, but not, again, not always executing it. <laughs> right, but I right. feel like I've learned a lot in that time, you know, and I don't know. And just DJing stuff over the years. But I think a lot of it was in my head before I ever executed it. Well, that's really interesting. Like, because I, I don't know, if you, like, told me I had to, like, DJ, like, a week from now or mm-hmm. something, I would just, I, for the first time, I don't think I would be, like, oh, yeah, well, I got all these, like, cool, like, blends planned out in my mind or something. You right. know what I'm saying? And I, I feel like there's so many people that DJ that kind of, like, don't have a firm grasp on any of that stuff at all. You, you know what I'm you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, sometimes people a lot of times when I DJ, I think I I hear later like or people will say like something that suggests like that they they thought that the whole thing I just planned out like the night before like the entire sequence of every song and like and that's just amazing to me cuz like just that seems so impossible to me because, like, how can you predict what's what's the right thing to play at the right time? Yeah. And it just surprises me that that sometimes is what people think is going on. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know if that's really answering your question, but... um, No, no. I guess, yeah, I guess that's the, kind of the only way to really be tight, I guess, is to, like, be able to, like, be in the moment and know what to play next based yeah. on what's going on, but also, like know how to come with these sick transitions or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like I do, I do when I'm at home, like I do stuff to make myself dance. Like I have like a setup where I'm just like, I just listen to music for myself Yeah. and I know what, like, because I'm like half the time when I'm DJing, like I'm dancing when I'm at home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, I know what I want to hear when I'm dancing. I feel like not, not all DJs are like not, they're not always doing that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it might be like, I bought this song, so I'm going to play it tonight or whatever. Like, when we were working on these albums, I feel like you never, ever were, like, 
stumped by basically when I was like, what is this sample? Mm-hmm. Like, like how, how do you get so, how do you get like that deep into it where you like know everything? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I don't always, I really don't think of myself that way sometimes. Like, I feel like when people talk about music or ask me what I, I'm into or something, sometimes I just get so stumped and like, and talking about like, like this seven inch and that seven inch, like record collector type uh-huh. talk. Like I just feel lost in it. And like, I feel lost in like pitchfork type conversations. Like, sure, cause yeah. I don't really, I literally just study records. Like I buy records and I just like look at the cover, look at the label. And I've been doing it for so long. Like since, you know, like middle school basically. Yeah. And that's the only way I can explain it. And I, and also like I buy collections and sell them and stuff. And so like, I think my whole process of like, memory all uh, memorizing all that has just been just sheer quantity like i've just like had so my hand on so many records that i just and like seen the name so many names um and listened like genuinely listened to them and like listened to them in a kind of obsessive way you know or listened to radio when i was like younger in a kind of obsessive way that it's just like just sheer numbers like it all adds up yeah you know that's that's really cool. That's kind of like the best way it can go down, I think. I I remember you know that the um is it called all directions break? Yeah, the, yeah. Like I remember listening to one of these old school tapes and just being like I love this break mm-hmm. and just the little the little routine we did with it on versus dynamic sounds mm-hmm. like yeah i was just like i gotta just sample it right from the tape and write to it yeah and then it was like i remember we were on the bus and we had like no wi-fi or anything but not that it would have mattered except if i emailed you about it but like <laughs> it's i remember being like to like joel and like different people being like do you guys know what this break is mm-hmm. do you know what this is like and like the only thing there is to go on is the sound of it. Mm-hmm. And the only way you could have heard it is to have listened to it. You know, it mm-hmm. it's, and it's like, you're right. It's like completely separate from like internet crap and like, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, like record collector talk and everything. Yeah. I think like with your system, it's like, it's uh, yeah. It's actually just all from digging for records for years and years and listening, which is really cool, you know. Yeah, I mean that's I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, the internet is like. Sometimes I'm just like, is it gonna put me out of business? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> right. but then other times I'm just like, I'm like I'm glad I don't have to like search through the internet for stuff like music like mm. I. I just feel lost when I like go to the internet, you know? Yeah. Um, I, there's something, I know this is like the corny, literally the corniest like record collector thing, but it's just like having something in my hand just somehow conveys like what it's about to me more. And just yeah. like having that extra information and the context, like even just finding something in the context of the collection that it came from, just like that's all just valuable information to me. Yeah. You know, and I want to like get that information almost as much as the music. Um, totally. Yeah. The other day, 
Dan Jansen put something on Facebook that was like, I think you, you might have been in, in tagged in this as well, but it was like, I'm trying to, he's like, I got these lyrics and I'm trying to figure out mm-hmm. whose song this was. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I got more lyrics. He's like, I, he's like, I wrote down all the lyrics I could remember and I'll send them to you if you want. Uh-huh. And I was like, send them to me. And some hater guy was like, kept being like, no need. He already sent me the lyrics and I couldn't figure it out. So like, <laughs> it's it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And I, it was driving me crazy. And then like from that moment on, I was like, I got to figure out what it is. <laughs> and like, like just to bypass this dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I like, I like was looking at the most obscure shit in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, like, cause Dan was like, there's nothing about it on the internet. And I was looking at the most obscure shit in the world. I was like thinking about like, like maybe one of these Detroit guys, maybe uh-huh. so, like like who would have a song like this? And um, it turned out it was just a, a Sugar Hill Gang song <laughs> that just like is not on the internet. <laughs> like, oh really? Really? Like it just it like, and I'm sure it was a huge song. You might even have it. The, the name of the song is called Troy. Oh Does yeah, yeah. I mean, I know of that song, but I yeah. can't even picture it in my head at the moment. Yeah, it's not not particularly a tight track and it's and it was about a guy named blade yeah yeah it was like why is it called troy it was just confusing but like yeah it it was like it was like i was looking for the most obscure shit because it was nowhere Mm -hmm. but it was by like the biggest rap group (laughs) on the earth (laughs) and like sort of like they're past their prime but they're still like hugely famous right right and it probably like shipped they probably like shipped like trucks of this mm-hmm. record like all over the world and now it's just not on the internet and right. then it's like then it's like a band that just started yesterday is like documented on the internet forever right it's, it's really weird yeah i mean i think people have this sense they're just like it's all on the internet now yeah and I don't know what the percentage is, but there's just so much stuff that's not, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's amazing to me, but it's just like history's written for people. Right, You right. know what I mean? It's just like, th- these are the tracks we need, and there's a reason <laughs> right. this other stuff isn't there, but there's so much. It's un- I mean, it's unbelievable what's on there. Right. Like, there's stuff that just has no business. Not, I don't even, I mean, like, stuff that's amazing, that it's incredible that it made it to the internet. Yeah. And there's, so, like, there's just millions of tracks that... Like, we're so lucky that they're there, but there's yeah. just so many things that aren't, and people think that they're just like, like, they're just confident because the internet's like got it under control, you know? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like, we don't have to worry. This song is like, n- will not be lost, but it's like they might be lost. Yeah. You know? Totally. I saw a, a Will Oldham interview where he was um, talking about seeing an, an owl in his yard. Uh huh. And then just thinking about how people think everything's on the internet. Right, right. Like, this owl is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> to take it up to present times what what do you got on the horizon musically um well i'm i'm still working on beats with mickey yeah as always um still djing with you um and I put out this uh this the Baltimore uh random rap from the nineties mixtape called A Different Kind of Dope and 
Forgive me. Yes. But I I I do want to talk about that a little bit. Which I I really loved it by the way. Like how did that happen exactly? Um just I just slow I acquired rap records from Baltimore just slowly over the years when I got here. Um and to be honest like I used to when I first got here I just would come across stuff and I would just be like, I tried a few rap records and I'd be like, I mean, you know, like Baltimore stuff. I was buying a lot of club stuff and loving that. And sometimes the rap stuff, I'd be like, oh, what's going on? Like, I just, <laughs> like, I just didn't get rap in Baltimore yeah. based on just like my limited experience of like these sort of open mic nights and, and uh, the 12 inches that I was finding or the yeah. CDs that I'd find or whatever. I just didn't find a way in. But then a couple gems popped up and then it sort of slowly built where I started to appreciate some of the other things. And I just really wanted to make a mix that that I could listen to and just sort of like feel like this is like Baltimore rap. You know, like this it something that like it all felt a certain way to me. Like I just wanted something that I could be I could listen to all the time. Yeah. And like and feel like it it encapsulated something and a lot of it's sort of i feel like the way you pr- approached the old school project that we did was inspiring to me in terms of like allowing yourself to like your fantasy of what it was like could be as important or as you know as what actually went down in a, oh, in okay. a scene you yeah. know um and so it's a little bit of that. Like I, I wanted to document these tight tracks, but a little of it was also just like I I kind of was conscious of putting them together in a way that like it felt a certain way or created a certain picture that maybe was like shining it up a little bit or putting a certain spin on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of tight stuff that like maybe doesn't make the cut or whatever because it didn't feel the right way for me. Right, right. But, I don't know, I just felt, like, inspired by the old school project to kind of just be like, eh, who cares? Like, I just want it. Like, I like these tracks. Yeah. And they just feel different to me. Has has anyone contacted you from that you put on? No, I haven't heard from any of the artists, actually. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I haven't. I'm a little, I'm like, part of me is worried, like, I'm, like somehow that they don't want it out there or whatever, but... um. Nah. I just hope people are, like, feeling it. Yeah. You know? It's, I mean, it's, what could they say? You know what I mean? They'd just be like, fuck you. (laughs) They could say that. They could say that. But I don't know. I don't, I think it's being, it's all obviously out of admiration, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how I feel about it. Um, So... Yeah, I'm I'm going to try and put out another one of one of those out um very very soon and I've sort of been sort of puzzling over the construction of it. Is there is there like a a theme or is it just just basically a continuation? Kind of a continuation. I'm yeah. although I think the stuff might be a little bit on the older side for the next one. Um Yeah, oh, I, cool. I I don't know exactly. Um, it might not be as, I feel like the other one might have represented like the late nineties a little bit more. And this is like on the earlier side of the nineties, but that's a pretty rough simplification of it, I guess. No, that's awesome. 
the um is Junie Jam the oldest dude on the first one? Uh yeah, yeah, that is definitely the oldest track on that one, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I don't even know what would be I'm trying what like if you don't mind naming some groups that might appear. I'm trying to think who would it be for like the early 90s. Um there's like uh this group Vital Signs. That is a track I'm like mm-hmm. um super into. Uh, this group Too Hard Posse, this dude L, and I don't know if you know the producer J Funk. Oh yeah, so maybe like on the later side of of things. Um, yeah, cool. I guess that about wraps it up, man. Thanks so awesome. much for coming on. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it, man. Thanks to Secret Weapon Dave. See you next week. <laughs>